0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rokraut.
1: And I'm Sophia Simonello.
0: And today we'll be talking all about some recent August releases with musical performances. That's a pretty broad category here, but that includes Respect, Coda, and Annette.
1: I think we had some heartwarming performances in all of these from Aretha Franklin to a marionette. So I'm very excited to talk about
2: (laughs) these today.
0: (laughs) And obviously we'll be getting into their Oscar potential later. And just as a warning, like on many of these pods where we talk about recent releases, we will be discussing spoilers. So if you haven't seen any of these movies yet, Respect is out in theaters and Coda is on Apple TV+. I know Annette will be available on Amazon Prime starting tomorrow. So If you want to wait until then to listen to that, just listen to the first two films and you can skip ahead to the timestamp in the description.
1: So let's start out talking about respect. IMDb description here, the rise of Aretha Franklin's career from a child singing in her father's church's choir to her international superstardom. It was directed by Liesl Tommy. It stars Jennifer Hudson, Forrest Whitaker, Mary J. Blige, Marlon Wayans, Mark Maron, Audra McDonald, and Titus Burgess. So a really big ensemble cast here. Before we get started on respect, I did want to point out that this movie has received an A cinema score, and so far has a 94% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's been pretty mixed and somewhat panned by critics, but audiences are really loving this movie.
0: I reached out to some friends, but nobody had Mm -hmm. seen this movie yet. I really wanted some different opinions Uh on the movie. Because I did see a lot of those critics' reviews that were really upset and kind of bored by it all. And that's the short of it, how I felt. It didn't feel new or fresh or paint Aretha in a really great light. And apart from a lot of musical performances, which we got and which I enjoyed, and there's nothing bad to say about Jennifer Mm -hmm. Hudson's voice, but I expected it to be more of a praise piece of Aretha than what we got
1: yeah what's really hard is that these musical biopics are often crowd pleasers. They're also very long, like most of them push over two hours. Bohemian Rhapsody was over two hours. Rocket Man was over two hours. It just feels like they're trying to fit too much in, but they're not really doing anything new. It's literally a Wikipedia page, just on screen and I don't want a Wikipedia page. I want a movie and Anytime Jennifer Hudson was singing or we had a musical performance and we were, I think, just experiencing Jennifer perform as Aretha, I enjoyed the movie much more. But when it was just about her life, kind of in between the songs, I didn't really know what they were trying to say about Aretha. Aretha was a huge supporter of the civil rights movement. That was a big passion area for her. And they just kind of gloss over it. I mean, it is part of the movie, but I wanted, I think, more Mm -hmm. there that was a really compelling story to me, but they always play it so safe. And then I end up getting bored.
0: The way you initially described Stillwater to me before I had seen it is kind of how I felt about this movie. They're trying to do so much, I think, in a long time frame. You know, we start as she's being woken up by her dad to sing at this party, which I was like, okay, toxic dad alert. Mm -hmm. And even with the time frames, I was kind of confused. There are quite a few location changes. And I think part of the movie is trying to reconcile the problems she had in her life, problems with men and drinking. And they talk about these demons the whole time. So many demons.
1: The most used word in the movie. Yes. It's like when we talked about how they said lepers all the time in Ben-Hur. Like demons is the word in (laughs) respect.
0: And there's this scene somewhat towards the beginning where it seems like she was raped, but they never address it again. And she never comes to terms with that, which I'm assuming is the reason for her alcoholism and her problem with drinking, but that's never addressed. And so that was part of my hardship too, was what are we fighting and what are we solving? Because they were never super explicit on what we were fighting.
1: And, you know, obviously like that is what happened to Aretha and that's where a lot of her pain comes from and that makes sense especially I think the way that they like call back to that moment and I will say I don't need to see that explicitly right like that's fine like leave that out I don't need to see that happen Mm -hmm. to young Aretha to understand that but they also just kind of gloss over the fact that she had two kids before she turned 16 and I just like there's a lot of story there that Mm -hmm. these biopics they don't really get into the darkness so much especially when the person is alive and involved in that storytelling I think maybe we just wanted something else but I do think the fact that they don't go to those places and when they try to I feel like they give like too much attention to the men like the Marlon Wayans character and to the Forrest Whitaker character Mm -hmm. her dad instead of like focusing more on Aretha
0: I totally agree. Like We got this flashback shot of the 10-year-old actor with a pregnant belly, and that was it. That was the one shot, and then that was the last we heard of it, and that was maybe halfway. Mm -hmm. And along with those characters, the music producers too, Mm -hmm. Jerry Wexler and the one before him, they always seem to have this bigger presence in her life and I guess I should have started out by saying this, but I don't know anything about Aretha's life really. So learning about her life in this way, I think, left me a little confused.
1: I was also confused, even though this follows the same formula that literally all of these movies follow.
0: That's the other issue I had, is it's the same exact thing as every other musical biopic that we've gotten, mm-hmm. pretty much. And I was like, Okay, I need something new. What like what are we gonna do here? Mm-hmm to make this fresh and to teach us something different.
1: It's like they have these boxes they feel like they have to check off from the Wikipedia page and it's not effective to me but clearly it's working for most audience members like most people it seems just kind of like going to see stories about famous people where there's some musical performances in there that are like clear demarcations of the person's career.
0: And they struggle, and there's this really big rousing finale. Like, is that what everybody wants to see?
1: I don't know. And like, part of me is thinking, you know, like, this one to me was nowhere near as egregious in some ways as Bohemian Rhapsody. And I did appreciate, though, that it felt less exploitative than Judy.
0: I think here they showed Aretha having more power in the decision-making process and the musical process than in Judy. Mm -hmm. But to me, it came down to how they made the movie, and that, to me, was just too plain. (laughs) Like, there was no soul in the filmmaking, and that is what Aretha is. Like, she is the queen of soul, Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel any of that. Even in the finale, when she's singing Amazing Grace in this beautiful church, and it was her most sold album the filmmaking just felt a little kitschy to me.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm going to give it the same criticism I gave the United States versus Billy Holiday, which is, this feels like a lifetime movie, but because it has better actors in it and people that we know, we don't consider it in the same way. But ultimately, it's exactly what it felt like. It felt like a made-for-TV movie. I know that sounds really harsh, but I think, yeah, because it's Aretha, I just wanted and expected more.
0: Yeah, I think that's the bottom line for me.
1: So let's talk about Oscar potential. I feel like right now, at least for me, this is the first movie I've seen this year where I thought, okay, we have someone in the Best Actress race. What do you think about Jennifer Hudson and her chances of getting nominated? And if you want to go there of winning, we can stick with nomination if that's how we're feeling right now.
0: I think she deserved her dream girl's nomination and win so much more than a nomination and definitely a win here. Like, yes, she can sing, but I didn't think that she gave as much here. So I understand that campaign. And even last year, she was going to be a front runner before the movie got moved. So I get it. I get why she's there, but it's not super strong to me.
1: One thing I do recommend watching, if anyone's interested, she was on Colbert, and she does a comparison of how she would sing Natural Woman as Jennifer Hudson and how she would sing it as Aretha, and it was actually really cool how she did that and talked about it and how her dialect coach worked with her on the differences between, like, her own voice and Aretha's voice, so I definitely recommend watching that, and it's just fun to watch Jennifer Hudson sing. I do think, though, this is going to be a heavy biopic year especially in the actress category. We have like a number of actresses playing famous women that I think are gunning for best actress, but I do think she's coming for a nomination at least. She's everywhere. And I feel like while critics aren't liking this movie, I think the industry probably really will. Like we've already heard about like SAG screenings where the audience is just enraptured and loves Jennifer Hudson's performance.
0: All of the posters are just her, Mm -hmm. which is kind of surprising because I could maybe see a Forest Whitaker nomination or a push here Mm -hmm. too. I don't know about any of the women. Mary J. Blige's performance is really short. So is Audra's. Mm -hmm. She has a great song. And then the sisters, I don't know if we want to talk about their character development. No. they just kind of felt like this second thought. They added them into the movie and didn't do much with them. And poor actresses.
1: I know. There is also an original song in the movie. It's called Here I Am, Singing My Way Home. I think that's always an option. We do have a musical heavy year, but I mean, Jennifer Hudson is out there campaigning, so anything's possible. But I think at this Mm -hmm. moment in time, she's the only one who I'm confident enough to say, like, will be in the race.
0: I could also see her being that sixth spot and fighting until the very end, so we'll just have to wait and see. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it?
1: I would give it Best Actress for Jennifer Hudson. I wasn't blown away by her performance. I do think that was the strongest aspect of the movie for me, was when she was performing as Aretha. Really quickly, just a caveat, when we do these, if you could give this movie one Oscar, especially as we move into, I think, the season and thinking about contenders, we are not considering any potential nominees from any other movie. So, like, I'm not considering what Lady Gaga's performance might be like in House of Gucci. It is strictly this movie that I'm thinking of.
0: I think I'll have to go with my favorite acting performance of the movie, which was Titus Burgess. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting to see him in the movie, Mm -hmm. and I think what he did as this reverend was great. He was also in it for a very short time, so that would be for a supporting actor. But I think he gave a lot more, and I wish he had been in more of the movie.
1: So last week you told us about your unique theater experiences, seeing <laughs> The Green Knight and seeing Old, and I have to tell you, yeah, I'm not trying to one-up you. I'm just joining the cause here <laughs> in ridiculous theatrical experiences. So I went to go see Respect last Thursday, and You know, it's pretty normal, just, like, going to the AMC. My seat was good. I was in row C. Like, nice prime spot. (laughs) Then these two women come in. Of course, they're seated, like, one seat away from me. They kind of reminded me of Barb and Star, actually. And the previews are continuing, and the House of Gucci trailer comes on and they just are super into the trailer they're like talking back to the screen there's a point when a gun goes off and the one woman like mimics that she has a machine gun and starts like making noises i was like all right it's a trailer (laughs) i'm excited for this movie too then the movie starts and they start announcing every actor that comes on screen What? so like in loud voices like forest whitaker Mary J. Blige shouting at the screen. And they were clapping along, snapping along, singing along to every song. And this is not a musical. Like they were singing When the Saints Go Marching In. Then also, this is a standard AMC. This is not a dine-in experience. A concession worker comes into the theater and brings them what look like vodka cranberries. What? Yes. Yes. In, like, little cocktail cups. I was like, great.
0: What is happening? How do I get one?
1: But then, an hour into the screening, the fire alarm goes off.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And at this point, too, I thought we were probably, like, an hour and a half at least in. No, Mm -hmm. we were, like, 57 minutes. (laughs) Also, it was important because, like, the announcement was going off that we needed to evacuate the movie, but the movie was still playing and people were still sitting in the theater watching it. It's like you guys are gonna like <laughs> die in a fire for respect. I don't understand. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. We go outside. Someone comes out and they tell us like that we can either, once the fire alarm stops, go in and request a refund, or they will restart our movie.
0: Why are those the two options? That doesn't make any sense. No,
1: and you better believe I got the refund, even though we were <laughs> recording this. So what I ended up doing was I. Went to see Respect again with my refund and showed up an hour late (laughs) and just resumed the movie when I wanted to.
0: Were they like, ma'am, this movie started an hour ago? What are you doing? (laughs) Like, I was
1: like, you know that this started? And I said, I was like, look. And I explained the story to him. He was like, what? But yeah, so that was my experience seeing Respect.
0: Oof, yeah, that's not great. I had this loudly laughing man behind me, which <laughs> was really uncomfortable, but otherwise nothing nearly as bad as that.
1: It was pretty horrendous.
0: <laughs> the one time that I got chewed out of a theater because of a fire alarm was in LA, and I was seeing Bad Times at the El Royale, but they rewound it maybe five or ten minutes, and then they kept playing it.
1: That's better.
0: Which was so nice, Yeah okay now we're going to be playing nom or bomb with biopics about musicians how this game works here we're going to say a movie and then we're either going to choose nom which means nominate aka we like the movie or bomb which means we don't like it we wouldn't nominate it so first off coal miner's daughter
1: i'll say nom
0: i'll go nom here too
1: love sissy spacek And we were on On Second Thought from Kevin Jacobson's podcast, and the runner-up is discussing this movie, so check that episode out. Next, we have Walk the Line.
0: This is kind of a blurry memory for me, but for Reese Witherspoon, I will say Nom.
1: I will say Nom, too.
0: Next is Rocket Man.
1: I didn't love this as much as everyone else, but I'll still say Nom.
0: I was actually pleasantly surprised by this movie, so I'm going to say Nom again.
1: Next, we have the infamous Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: This is a bomb.
1: Definitely a bomb.
0: How about 8 Mile? I haven't seen this.
1: Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. I feel like it was always on MTV. (laughs) I think I have to be true to myself for when I watch this. I'll say nom. Okay. Original song winner.
0: I was going to say, how about the 2020 Oscar performance of 8 Mile?
1: I knew that was coming next, and I will say bomb to that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was a WTF moment. Uh, definitely bomb
1: for sure how about the united states versus billy holiday
0: we talked about this briefly during the award season i'm gonna say bomb
1: yeah it's a bomb but Andrew day is good Andrew (laughs) day gives an amazing performance in it i think yeah
0: as much as i wanted her to actually win the oscar for that next up dream girls
1: i don't like dream girls i think i saw it when i was too young i would have only been like 13 and i was really really bored I'm just going to stick with it and say bomb.
0: Yeah, I kind of felt the same way as I did about respect. I'm going to say bomb here. Judy. Even though they're the same movie, all of these are the same. (laughs) I'm going to go with nom. Oh. I felt like I could see Renee's transformation as Judy, and I appreciated that.
1: Even though I did like Renee Zellweger in this movie, I'm going to say bomb.
0: How about I'm Not There?
1: This is a nom.
0: Which I also haven't seen. Oh,
1: really? Oh, you should watch Mm -hmm. it. Kate Blanchett as Bob Dylan.
0: Yeah, it's on my list.
1: Amadeus.
0: I love this movie. We need to cover this on the pod Mm -hmm. at some point. Nom.
1: Yes, we have to. This is a nom, and I put it on this list because we had so many bad movies, and I was like, eh, this is kind of a stretch, but I'm going to roll with it.
0: (laughs) What's love got to do with it?
1: I will say nom, just for Angela Bassett.
0: Okay. I haven't seen it, so.
1: (laughs) And our last one, Florence Foster Jenkins.
0: I guess bomb? I don't know. It's like very middle of the road. (laughs) Just so quirky.
1: I didn't like this at all. I was like actively (laughs) asking myself why I was still in the movie theater at this point, like as this would go on. (laughs) So I will say bomb.
0: Okay, so now let's talk about Coda. Description here. As a Coda or a child of deaf adults, Ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family. When the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music and her fear of abandoning her parents. This was directed by Sean Hader. It stars Amelia Jones, Troy Kotzer, Marley Matlin, and Eugenio Derbez. It won four of Sundance's big awards earlier this year, the Grand Jury Prize, the Audience Award, Directing Award, and the US Dramatic Special Jury Award for Best Ensemble. And it was the biggest sale at Sundance, being bought by Apple TV Plus for $25 million. How did you feel about Coda?
1: To start, I saw Coda back as part of Sundance. And unfortunately, by the time I watched Coda, it had already won all these awards. So I went into it with really high expectations, I think. And that set me up at a disadvantage because... It was one of those where I could see why it won the audience award, but I wasn't really understanding how it could pick up so many when what I had seen, I really liked, but it didn't feel like something that was going to sweep this season. And again, I know that's not fair of me to put all of that on it, but watching it this time just for the purpose of reviewing it and like talking about it here, I actually enjoyed it more. And I think I was able to, like, kind of separate that and just enjoy it as a movie, which I do think it is really delightful. It's really sweet. I love the details that Sean Hader includes. I love how access and socioeconomic status are intertwined in the story. So I think it does have a lot to offer, and I'm happy that I could kind of take away my preconceived notions of it this time watching it because that ultimately helped my viewing.
0: What about you? It was kind of the opposite to me, but also how I felt watching the Harry Potter movies, because I had read all the books. And then when I saw the movies, I hated them because they weren't like the books. They didn't include everything. They changed them. But when I first saw this, it was on the awards day at Sundance. And I was hyped, but I was also just in for the emotional ride. And it was very melodramatic. And I did like that it was this endearing, very cute film with needed representation. And it was just really funny. And I liked how lighthearted it was while also weaving all of these stories together, which I thought was done really well too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked that I felt like she wasn't trying to be like, this is the deaf experience. Instead, it was just this story about a family. And through that, you could learn more about what it's like to be a CODA and the, the hardships that deaf people face.
0: Listening to videos and interviews with Sean about her experience on set and making this a very inclusive project was heartwarming too. I think that kind of exemplified what she and the cast and crew were trying to show through this movie. And I didn't know that this was a remake either. There was a French movie, The Baillier Family from 2014, and they didn't use as many or if any deaf actors. So I think it felt more authentic. Mm -hmm. And that's not always done with any kind of other in film. And I really liked that here.
1: Yeah, I liked that. And I liked how Sean Hader purposefully created a crew in a world where inclusivity was the standard. And I read in an interview with her that she and Amelia, the lead actress who isn't deaf, they would be Working on set, and they would be signing to each other because that was just the culture that they'd established. And having many interpreters on set, most of them being children of deaf adults, too. So I like how purposeful she was about creating a film that felt real, even though that wasn't her experience. I mentioned this too a little bit earlier, but one thing that stood out to me also was just how they show the lack of deaf access in this movie. So specifically, like when Ruby has to go to the doctor's appointment with her parents and when she's the one who has to kind of be their interpreter at work settings Mm -hmm. and all throughout this movie. I thought that was a really compelling detail. And this interview that I read with Sean Hader and Charlotte Little through Little White Lies, one thing that Sean talked about was how money is such a huge part of access. And for deaf people, they have to find interpreters. And if you're not in that position financially, you don't have access to these things as easily. So for them, like Ruby was their access point. And I like how they go into the struggle that Ruby is feeling about leaving and what it means to leave her family behind. And I think that Sean did a really good job of just subtly and often throughout the story displaying why that would be the case for her and just why her family relies on her so much.
0: Along with that, I love the sound design in the movie. There are some really great moments of putting into perspective how the deaf characters feel. The one scene where it's really prominent is when Ruby's performing her duet at school and the families in the audience And the sound just goes completely mute, and you're looking around as if you were the parents. You're looking at different people and how they're reacting, and you just don't hear anything. You can't feel anything. And I think that comes back when she performs the song again for her dad, and her dad feels her throat and her vocal cords. Another cry. That made me moment. cry, I was
1: going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But it just makes you think as a viewer, you know, how it must feel. So I like how the movie tries to put you in their shoes and to help you to understand why this is so difficult and why Ruby's decision was also so hard.
1: So you mentioning the high school choir, one other detail I really liked about this movie was just how realistic of a high school this felt like i feel like a lot of times in these high school movies or tv shows we get like euphoria kids like we get hot Mm -hmm. teens who are actually 25 (laughs) (laughs) and in this movie it really actually felt like this is a real high school choir some of the song choices they had the outfits they were wearing i was like okay this feels like someone who knows (laughs) this experience
0: i think a 180 to that is the ending where this is just like totally cheesy, Mm -hmm. never would happen in an audition scenario, but is also just hitting so hard and loved when she starts signing the song. And the judge like looks around up at the balcony is like, oh, her family's Mm -hmm. here. And like completely understands what's happening (laughs) somehow.
1: I also thought both sides know was a great choice. I mean, it's a little on the nose for, like, the themes of this movie, Mm -hmm. but it's also, like, the perfect coming-of-age song. We talked about that for the end of Hereditary, too, but it's often used in ways to communicate, you know, moving from one part of your life to the next. Very hard song to sing, too, so great job, Amelia. So other than Amelia, did you have any other performances that stood out to you or maybe were your favorite?
0: I liked Marley, but I think she's also just a personable actor. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Troy as the dad and Eugenio as the music teacher. I thought they were good. You know, no one, like, really stood out to me, but I thought everybody had a strong performance. Mm -hmm. What about you?
2: I
1: actually really did like Troy as her dad. He just seemed like he had a great sense of humor, and I read too that he's a very improvisational actor, and just thinking about how many of his scenes could have been improvised, but I thought that he brought a lot of emotional heart to the movie, and also great comedic timing.
0: My favorite line from the movie was towards the end, and Ruby's checking in for the audition, and they go, you don't have a lot of history with music. And Ruby goes, is there a question? (laughs) She just throws it in their face. I love that.
1: I also was going to ask you because you gave a great reveal one time that you were in marching band. Were you ever in choir?
0: <laughs> no choir. Sorry. <laughs> That's where my artistic <laughs> abilities stop.
1: Okay. I just had to ask.
0: I would totally have been like Ruby and run out when the teacher made me do a solo during class. Oh, it would terrify me. Oh, my God. So, what do you think about awards potential for this movie?
2: This is
1: so tricky because I feel like, you know, anytime a new movie comes out, like in this stage, we're very early on. People just overhype. People are getting very excited and I'm happy for them. Like You can predict away movies that are coming out in August and that's fine. But I do think people maybe need to chill a little bit. <laughs> I think with 10 slots for Best Picture, there is, you know, always a chance. Where something that is a big player at Sundance can get in. I think we'll just have to see it sustain buzz. I mean, Minari did, of course, but last year was very, very different. And I'm curious to see what Apple TV Plus does with this because it is a really heartwarming film that does connect with audiences. And that can be really good Mm -hmm. at the Oscars. I also think Marley Matlin is doing a lot right now, she is a huge advocate for the deaf community. She's sharing, you know, the theaters that have open captioning for this movie and she's giving a lot of interviews. And I think that that's definitely something we should watch. But for me, it's way too early to be like, this is going to get as many awards or nominations even as people are expecting. And Sundance isn't really a guarantee for Oscars but I'm not going to underestimate it. It It's on my radar, just not making any moves with it yet.
0: Yeah, big Sundance winners and players don't always equate to Oscars. I think Marley Matlin being an Academy Award winner Mm -hmm. is going to help this a lot in its run for awards, but it's just not a typical Oscar movie, and I think that's where I'm having the most trouble. Maybe I could see it at one of the smaller independent ceremonies, but I don't think I would see any acting awards getting in, and I think that's where most of the attention would be. Best picture, I would say no. And then sound design maybe could get in, but that would probably be the one technical category that I would rely on seeing.
1: I also feel like we have a number of Family drama is coming, which is why I'm hesitant, I think, to slot it in because we have the humans, we have Come On, Come On, Curious, like, how those will play, and if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be?
0: I'll just give it to Troy Kotzer for playing Frank.
1: That's what I was going to do. I'll give
0: it... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Twins. I think he's the funniest character and just gives a lot, you know, from his doctor appointment performance to sitting on the couch and laughing, you know, as Ruby is just so embarrassed and having that scene with her singing for him. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, I think he's the most memorable part of this for me. What about you?
1: I would do the exact same thing. Like literally everything that you said, he was my standout performance. The scene when she's singing to him and he puts his hand on her throat. That's what really did it for me to feel how she could sing. Because that is something I think that's so important in, in music and just him communicating how he's trying to understand his daughter in that way. That really moved mm-hmm. me. And that's partially due to his strong performance. So may we start talking about Annette?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: IMDB description. A stand-up comedian and his opera singer wife have a two-year-old daughter with a surprising gift. This was directed by Leos Carax, stars Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and Simon Helberg. So I did also find it super interesting that Annette wasn't supposed to be a movie originally. It was supposed to be a mm-hmm. Sparks album. They had like written and recorded this musical called The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman, but it was really difficult to tour. So then they wrote Annette and they met with leo's corrects at can because he put spark song in holy motors and then that's how it all got started mm-hmm. which i thought was really yeah. cool this was an experience i will start there what was going through your mind i think just general reactions watching annette
0: this was wild for me i absolutely loved the beginning totally thrown off didn't know what i was getting myself into There's this like crackly start, and then it's this really long take of So May We Start, which I loved so much, and then a lot of something happened, and I'm not really (laughs) sure how that all comes together. I mean, I didn't hate any of it. I'm just so confused. Like The music I thought was great and very unique, and I love the score. I ended up not watching the trailer when that came out, so was the story... Like presented in that, or was it just as mystifying?
1: So I think the trailer was just as odd and disorienting as the story goes, but I do think you could at least tell basically that this was going to be some sort of love story, have rock opera tendencies, that this couple was going to have a child, did not know what the child looked like in the trailer, and... That's all I really got from the trailer, other than that it looked really visually stunning and that I was just very, very excited to see it. But Mm -hmm. what happened, I obviously did not expect, because how can any normal person predict what is about to happen in Annette?
0: I'm wondering and trying to break it down if it tried to tackle too much, if it was too many things, like being a rock, opera, musical, family drama, and having this child who becomes her own person maybe that's where I got lost.
1: Maybe, but I think that his movies are just never really rooted in reality. He loves playing with the truth, and you know what mm-hmm. you see is kind of what you get in his movies, as absurd as it is. And I think that the movie does try to do a lot. I did love most of it. Honestly, it did really work for me just being immersed in this experience. But I agree that There is a lot of stuff happening in the middle in particular that really started to lose me where Mm -hmm. I just kind of thought like, okay, I'm here for this. I'm letting it wash Mm -hmm. over me. But how is this all connected? Is it supposed Mm -hmm. to be connected? And we can get into things that we maybe didn't like as much. But once it gets more into the arc of Henry McHenry, that's when it really started to lose me. I liked it much more when it was more about the two of them more about marion and adam
0: it was definitely memorable and i kind of interpreted it as an experience more than a movie too Mm -hmm. i think it was like up to the birth of annette Mm -hmm. that i was in it and then from there i was like okay what parts were predictable but then parts didn't make sense so like the fall of Henry McHenry because we also have these TMZ type interludes which are almost directing the narrative based on what's happening but then we also get this dream sequence where Henry McHenry is being me too'd Mm -hmm. in this interview and these women are outing him as this horrible violent person but it's just a dream from Anne so I didn't really know how to take that
1: Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning really quick, because I do want to talk about the opening. I love this opening. I thought it was melodramatic, rousing, and seeing Leos Karax there and the Sparks brothers and just feeling Mm -hmm. like, ooh, okay, this is different. This is, you know, knowing that they're the creators of this thing, but seeing them in the opening scene, I thought, okay, I'm here for whatever is about to happen. And Mm -hmm. then... Like, seeing Adam and Marion as themselves, not as these Mm -hmm. characters that we've seen from, like, the trailers or the stills. Adam looked really good. I will say that multiple times, I'm sure, during this recording. This song, So May We Start, it was just a fun opener. And I think all musicals, all movie musicals especially, should have a great opener to really Mm -hmm. hook you in. And of course I loved the play on words here. May we means of course in French. So that was really fun. And then we say goodbye to Anne, we say goodbye to Henry. So they leave as their characters basically. And that I loved because it just started I think what was this really entrancing but odd thing that he did in this movie, which is like, who is the audience? Like you feel very much a part of the film which makes it feel very theatrical. We start the movie and we know that we're in another world, that we need to suspend our disbelief. And I think it's very different from other musicals that we've gotten recently. Um, Even in this past year, like In the Heights, where it's kind of supposed to feel like it's fantasy, but also you're supposed to feel like you're in this reality. And here, he's starting everything out by saying like, no, you are watching a theatrical experience. It is not real life like remove any preconceived notions that you might have of what you're about to experience and just let yourself experience it and I really did love that but from that point it did kind of go into areas of confusion for me where I just wasn't sure what was happening and I really just had to kind of submit to what he was trying to do and not try to think about it too much
0: So we're talking about the initial sequence, but the very initial moment, the screen is black and he is speaking to the audience directly and Mm -hmm. he's like, take your last breath, hold in your farts, here we go, and then it opens up in LA. So I think that to me, especially this whole idea of who is the audience, is something I was thinking about the whole time because that is really referring to us viewing the film, but then later on, the camera it ends up going back and forth showing the audience and Henry Mm -hmm. during his comedy performances. And that becomes very interactive. So I'm like, okay, now who's the audience? Is it them? Are we that audience? Mm -hmm. Are we a second audience? And then like fast forwarding a lot, we have, you know, Annette's performance in the Super Bowl, like that audience, (laughs) us again. (laughs) There's just, there's a lot of hearts happening.
1: She is a baby after all. (laughs) That made me laugh so hard. I mean, I think so going to Henry McHenry's act, right? He's this really successful comedian. His act is called The Ape of God. The camera focuses in on him in a way that reminded Mm -hmm. me a lot of how Scorsese filmed Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull as he's like preparing for a fight he has this green robe. He looks just so like muscular and enormous, honestly. He looks huge as he's preparing for it. Th- I'm really sorry. This is going to be this whole episode. I'm really, really trying to be appropriate. But his act is a very particular type of cringe comedy mm-hmm. that reminded me a lot, honestly, of Adam in Girls. Like it felt like that character kind of just a little bit older. Mm-hmm. But there was, like, a certain type of this physicality and weirdness that I think Adam Driver does so well. But that interaction with the audience was so spooky. It made me feel like we were at some, like, comedy performance in hell, which, like, Leos Carricks isn't a comedian. Maybe that's how he views stand-up comedy. I mean, I certainly do a little bit. Henry uses comedy to control people and to wield a sort of power And I thought that was really interesting, especially thinking of the commentary on celebrity. And I loved how the audience kind of went off of that. And I felt like an audience member there too, because I felt uncomfortable when he was performing. And I think that was Mm -hmm. the
0: goal. And he has these backup singers as well. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very farcical and I guess with each part, I didn't know how much of it to take seriously or literally or figuratively mm-hmm. or if he was really performing because we get this over the top acting throughout the movie from him.
1: It's all over the top. I mean, like when he's like maniacally laughing, riding his motorcycle, like, even Marion and her character at the opera as Anne, she, like he says, is always dying. And. Mm-hmm that in itself is dramatic opera in itself is dramatic all of these things that they're doing are taken up a notch and I think that they play really well off of Leos Carax's vision these types of roles are not supposed to be subdued I liked the absurdity of it
0: I guess this is where I can bring in the conductor played by Simon Helberg, I actually really liked this character, or at least his one scene he had, where there's like this three hundred sixty degree camera going on.
1: I loved that, and
0: he's yeah, conducting his orchestra, and he says, "Please excuse me," mm-hmm. and keeps going. I really love that because again, it plays with us watching and him working with these people too,
1: yeah, definitely. I'm going to go back to what you said about like a little while ago about like the interstitials of the tabloid TMZ things. Mm -hmm. I really liked those. I thought they were really funny, but I thought it was a really clever way to orient us to where they were in the relationship and how people were Mm -hmm. observing them as a couple and to bring Annette in. My issues, I think, do come with the pacing a little bit. I was entertained this whole time, but I kind of felt like once Annette got there, I was like, oh, this is happening very quickly. And then there was a lot of movie left still. Yeah. But I did like how these TMZ style headlines reminded me that Marion's character was treated in this movie a lot like Princess Diana and Natalie Wood. There's a scene in particular when Marion is in the car, and we can talk about the scene that you mentioned too with the weird dreamlike sequence of the Mm -hmm. six women have come forward where Marion, she looks up and a motorcycle is coming towards her car and she like blocks herself. And that reminded me like a lot of Princess Diana Mm -hmm. and her car accident that was in that tunnel. And of course, later on the scene with the boat reminded me of another very famous lady, Natalie Wood. So, like the most famous woman to die on a boat.
0: Well, let's get into baby Annette and talk about her.
1: Wait, are we going to skip the the sex singing?
0: <laughs> if you want to get into that, we can.
1: Okay, so I, I this is all I'm going to say. I saw the press release, or I saw the note from Marion in the press notes where she said, I need to get the exact quote,
0: Oh, this is what you were warning me about.
1: This is what I was warning you about. So Marion, in the press notes, mm-hmm. said, we found ourselves singing in very complicated positions, doing back crawling or mimicking cunnilingus, acrobatic positions that technically modify your song. So I just, you know, was very overwhelmed thinking about this, had to remind myself, like, I watched six seasons of Girls. It couldn't be crazier than anything I witnessed in that.
0: Is this when they're singing we love each other so much? Is that yes, the song? Yes, that that's okay. when it
1: is. Um and then it just it was over and I was like, "Okay, that's it. I think it was just better in my imagination than in the movie."
0: <laughs> well, with this in mind and according to IMDb trivia, would it have been as titillating if it were either I Rooney hate that Mara, word.
1: I really hate that word. <laughs>
0: Rudy Mara, Michelle Williams, or Kristen Stewart, who were all apparently presented with this role.
1: I like Marion a lot in this role. I think that she was Mm -hmm. the right choice, but I did hear somewhere that Joaquin Phoenix was considered before Adam Driver, (laughs) and that to me would be a big no. I feel like I I would have walked (laughs) out maybe or closed my eyes.
0: Definitely on his level of weird, though.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And I guess Rihanna also maybe would have had a role in this movie, which would have been totally insane.
1: Yeah, did you hear what he said about her part? No. <laughs> so I'm going to read the quote from him. It was a small part written specifically for her. She was supposed to play Rihanna. When Baby Annette becomes famous, there was a duet between the puppet and Rihanna. Oh
0: my God. But then
1: Rihanna feels upstaged by this baby. <laughs> she turned it down.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Like, Super Bowl duet, Annette and Rihanna.
1: (laughs) Okay, I've gotten that out of the way. We're good. We can move on. I just had to mention it. I knew that, you know, people were asking me about it, and (laughs) there is my answer.
0: So, baby Annette, why is she a puppet?
1: So, there are a lot of reasons for this. I would say that the easy answer is that Leos Carex in the press conference said that he didn't want to work with human children or CGI. Okay. But then you have, like, the symbolic reasoning, which is, like, baby Annette, marionette. Her parents, specifically her dad, is treating her like his puppet. I mean, what you see is what you get. Like, this baby is supposed to be a puppet, even though they don't act like it's weird in the world of the movie. But we know that it's weird. And on its surface, it really is, I think, just that, like, she is a marionette in their world. But we just call her baby Annette. (laughs) Then, like, other things about baby Annette. I think it was kind of hilarious that they gave her Adam Driver's ears. Specifically for any of the stands out there his military photo where his ears are huge, like that's what Baby Annette's ears looked like. The baby's really frightening though. Like what did you think when you first yeah. saw Baby Annette? <laughs> because when you first see her it's in Henry's dream and she's born and she has a clown face. That was scary. Mm-hmm. But then when you actually see Baby Annette, it takes you a minute to adjust.
0: It was terrifying when I first saw her because also when she's born, the lights go really low and you can see her heart beating.
1: She's out of this world.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's just something you accept. Mm -hmm. Something that's so weird but becomes part of the story. We can get to the ending in a bit when she finally changes. But I guess part of me is questioning, like, why wasn't she a real baby at the very beginning, up until the storm when Marion dies, and we see her come back and say, I'm taking over, you're going to have my voice, and that's how I'm going to haunt Henry. And why didn't she become a puppet then? Because that's obviously more telling.
1: I think that to Henry, she was always a puppet and always something that wasn't real or that might have been unwanted or something that he was, like, afraid he was going to break or didn't think he could take care of. Like, if you think about how how his stand-up sets went, he talks about, like, viewing being in love as, like, being a downfall and, like, having a baby. Like, he's he viewed this as a bad thing. I like that they kept her marionette until the very end.
0: The ending also threw me off because they have a shot of him leaving... And she's finally human again. And then the puppet's on the floor Mm -hmm. after we see her human. Mm -hmm. So I guess with all of this, it makes more sense. But that whole scene with her speech and saying, no, you can't love me. It was intense. But I think at that point, I was just like, what is going on? There's so much... I don't understand.
1: Yeah, but that's when it like got me back again. I was like, there's something going on here that's really melancholy and odd that I need to mm-hmm. unpack and after seeing it, I haven't stopped thinking about this movie. Does that mean it's like a good movie? I don't know, but I can't stop thinking about it. It has like really mm-hmm. haunted my dreams. I can't get the songs out of my head, get the um the feelings that I felt at multiple parts of this movie.
0: And you saw this at Cannes. So, like, what was the reaction of the crowd?
1: Ooh, the crowd seemed pretty into it in my screening. So, I was in the prime seat, big theater, fourth or fifth row, middle. So, I don't know what was happening behind me. Like, I'm sure maybe some people could have left and I didn't notice, but people were audibly reacting to what was happening, like (laughs) gasping. There was a lot of laughter, like, people trying Mm -hmm. to hold it in when baby Annette would appear specifically like when she would kind of come out from behind the door or like when you first saw her or in her joints like you realized that she was wooden people I think just seemed very invested in and were reacting to it they were going against Leo's Carax's orders (laughs) at the beginning but yeah I didn't have any walkouts or anything people seemed into it okay standing ovation of course and the best part was that seeing it at Cannes meant I had to stay till the very end, and there is a post credit scene, so that was good.
0: Wait, did I stay? I think I did, but what happened?
1: It's just like Adam and Marion and everyone, kind of like how they are at the beginning, but they're telling you that it's over and it's time to go home now. Oh. It's like at the very, very end.
0: And then what was with his scar getting bigger and bigger?
1: Oh my god, I wanted to ask you about this because this is like my one burning question. He has this like port wine stain on his face, mm-hmm. that skin condition, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I, I don't know. I mean, it gets bigger and bigger as his, you know, he gets more evil. Like that's the life that he's chosen. But I don't really know what it's supposed to symbolize other than just like maybe like a stain on his life. But I don't know. Yeah. Why do you think Mary and Anne was always eating apples?
0: Is this like some Snow White connection?
1: Oh, I didn't think about Snow White.
0: Because we did get a little bit of foreshadowing in the very beginning when they're walking through the woods. And I think they're still singing, We Love Each Other So Much. It's a shot behind them and and Henry comes up to put his hands on her shoulders and it looks like he's going to strangle her.
1: That was very overwhelming. I'm not going to expound on that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was kind of like biblical, I guess, with like Adam and Eve um, of her mm-hmm. like biting into this apple because the apple ha- always has one bite taken out of it in most of the shots. And it reminded me because Leos Carricks wanted to shoot Adam Driver in this movie because of girls. It reminded me of at the infamous Bushwick party when Jessa says he kind of does look like the original man about Adam <laughs> That could be a little too in the weeds. No,
0: I'm sure that could too.
1: And he's always eating bananas. But that, I think, is more about him being the ape of God.
0: Yeah. I guess just fruit being a symbol generally.
1: hmm Babies. I mean, that's like reproducing fruit. Like the fruit of your womb type of thing in the Bible. I mean, it's all strange.
0: Yeah, because then we learn later on that Annette is really the conductor's baby, right? Maybe. The timing of everything is very vague. Mm-hmm. You know, she grows to be six, I believe, by the end, and we have maybe two versions of her as a marionette. So that, to me, was also very sitcommy of, like, time doesn't actually pass. <laughs> no.
1: Her performance at the Super Bowl was really just... If the Browns ever make it to the Super Bowl, baby Annette needs to perform.
0: <laughs> She's also just, like... She's not even singing. She's just, it's like vocal noises. And she has like 83 million views on YouTube. Like, What what kind of magic is this?
1: It reminded me of, have you ever seen the movie The Snowman? The animated movie?
0: Love, yes. We talked about this. Yes,
1: okay. So there's this part at the end where there's this music while the snowman is like flying through the air. It sounds Mm -hmm. like Baby Annette. That's all I could think of.
0: (laughs) So what were your favorite songs or performances?
1: I like Sympathy for the Abyss, the very end. I would say, though, So May We Star is the best. But mm-hmm. We Love Each Other So Much is shockingly catchy for having about three lines.
0: <laughs> that is definitely what I keep singing over and over again in my head, yeah.
1: I didn't think, though, that like Adam and Marion had great chemistry. Maybe that was how it was supposed to be. Like, I wouldn't have picked anyone else for their roles, probably, but they, to me, and maybe that was just the characters, like their relationship was falling apart.
0: I can see that. We never see their relationship begin. Mm -hmm. I kind of assumed they were in the honeymoon phase of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, he goes to the opera house to pick her up, and they kiss in front of all of these paparazzi. But again, it was just all this big act and performance. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I don't really know if I've ever seen him have chemistry with anyone.
0: Does he have more chemistry with Lena Dunham or Marion Cotillard?
1: Marion Cotillard. I will also say just like some of the shots were very beautiful, but the entire like boat scene and then after the boat scene with the moon, it just reminded me so much of adult Lemony Snicket, like a series of unfortunate events. That was the vibe I was getting from
0: it. Well that seemed very stage performance to me like mm-hmm. an actual opera like right. those rocks mm-hmm. and then we see those rocks again surrounding her on this during the Super Bowl. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting parallel. Okay, so awards potential, is there any? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, please imagine like an academy screening of this. I thought it was fun and a really enjoyable experience and just different from anything else i've maybe ever seen but especially not with the oscars i can maybe see critics going for adam driver but mm-hmm. he didn't even win best actor at Cannes, which i thought was odd but people are going to talk about it
0: this is very much adam driver's movie and i love that we got mm-hmm. so many close-ups of not only his body but <laughs> his face
1: thank you for joining my inappropriate party for a minute <laughs>
0: Well, he's in underwear for like 15 minutes during his comedy acts.
1: He's not wearing clothes for a good amount of the movie.
0: Yes. He flashes the crowd as he's leaving. Did you screech?
1: It's nothing I haven't seen before. I mean, like I said, I watched (laughs) Girls. But I was like, this is exciting.
0: And I really liked what he gave us. I enjoyed the Adam Driver of it all. So if there was attention, I mean, it could be a nominee somewhere. I think that's totally possible. I know it's super early. It's August.
1: Yeah. I just can't imagine he's going to give us anything better in House of Gucci or The Last Duel, although I'm sure those are more likely to give him awards attention than this one. I can see them maybe being more palatable, yeah. but this is kind of a swing for the fence's performance, and sometimes they do like those. So I do think, though, that this is the best use of of Adam Driver physically since Girls. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Noah Baumbach or Spike Lee or Martin Scorsese have understood him in this way of just Mm -hmm. what his presence brings and just how large he is. You know, I think there's a certain sector of the internet, specifically millennial women, (laughs) who talk about how big he is all the time. Like that is just, it's a corner of the internet that I really love. And I feel like... Leos Carricks knows that too. And he saw that in Girls and he was like, this is what I am going to gift you this year.
0: And I would say just in terms of actors going big and doing things, we don't get a ton of those performances at the Oscars. I feel like it's mostly subtle and especially with the physicality of everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He is doing more than most nominees do.
1: Yeah, he definitely is. I I don't really have anything else to add. I'm truly getting tongue tied thinking of words that I can say live on this episode right now. Do you think that any of the songs from Annette can get nominated for best original song?
0: Is this a can they question or will they question?
1: Can they, should they, will they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) If they were eligible, I mean they hadn't been released before, so I'm assuming yes. I would probably say, no, they're not going to be.
1: (laughs) I really hope that at least one is.
0: What would your one song be?
1: Well, So May We Start is the obvious choice, but the premiere performance of Baby Annette would be the funniest. Mainly because I just want Adam and Baby Annette to perform at the (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oscars. I was gonna say, can you imagine seeing this on stage?
1: (laughs) Just, they need to recreate, like, the obelisk at the Super Bowl and just put the puppet up on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would be so bizarre.
1: And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be?
0: I think it's safe to say we would both give it to Adam Driver.
1: (laughs) Yes, we would. And we highly recommend Annette, at least to just experience. Just go into it with an open mind. It is in theaters now and will be out on Prime tomorrow.
0: For me, it was very much a why does this have a wide release type of movie just because this is going to be very hard for, I think, a lot of viewers watching at home on Amazon Prime. Sitting through a 140-minute film, that gets as weird as it does. But I think it is because of its two stars, Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. Mm -hmm. And I think Sparks have had a lot of attention recently. There's also a documentary made by Edgar Wright called The Sparks Brothers. So I don't know if they're having a comeback of sorts or what their following is like, but that could also help this movie's chances during award season.
1: And next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be doing another Oscar Rewind focusing on the career of Frank Capra, specifically his three best director wins. We'll be talking about our final big five film. It happened one night. Also, Mr. Deeds goes to town and you can't take it with you.
0: Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.
1: Thanks, everyone. See you next time.